0: So today we're going to continue in our study of the parables and this parable is going to deal with money and a lot of the parables do you probably noticed that Um, but basically this parable deals with money in this life and how money can impact eternity so how we deal with money in this life and how money kind of impacts eternity and it's a very odd parable. Okay, when I was going through all the parables, I'm like studying through them, and I'm like, okay, I'm like planning the dates, I'm trying to figure out, okay, which one, and then I was like, oh, the parable of the dishonest manager, and like this one is just plain weird at first when you start reading. So um, basically, it's called the parable of the dishonest manager, and we'll start. I threw this. Hopefully, there's everything's good on the PowerPoint. I literally got up this morning, looked out the window, and said, I got to make a PowerPoint. Okay, so um, I'm copying and pasting stuff, so hopefully there's uh, you know, no uh, you know, mistakes in there. So let's start off. Um, there it goes. Okay, um, so it says this. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager... And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, "What is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management, for you can no longer be manager." So obviously, the setting is a wealthy man found out a manager that he had hired uh, was mismanaging his money. So, in view of this, the wealthy manager decided, or the wealthy man decided to fire the manager. You can't work here anymore, okay? You're mismanaging what's going on. So then the manager, is this going to change? There we go. And it says this, and the manager, excuse me, manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed. To beg, So the manager obviously upset and discouraged that he was caught and he thought to himself, what in the world am I going to do? I'm not into hard labor and I'm not going to beg. Um, so what am I going to live on? I'm losing my job here. Okay. notice there is nothing in what this manager says. um, Maybe I should ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's a way I can make it up to this boss. Notice notice this thinking here. He's not thinking like, oh, let me see if the manager will forgive me. Let me appeal to him. He's thinking what? About himself. What is going to happen to me? Now, many times that describes us when we do something wrong, right? When we do something wrong, we're thinking, what is going to happen to me? Okay. At this point, we may think, how am I going to get myself out of this mess? So that's basically what this guy is doing here. He's like, how am I going to get this out? I've been a manager of this wealthy man's money, and you know, obviously he's been mismanaging. He's probably skimming some off the top, so now he's thinking, I'm not digging, okay? I'm not going to go dig, and I'm not going to go beg. So what should I do? So here's what he says. delayed (laughs) there we go says this i have decided what to do so that when i am removed from management people may receive me into their houses so summoning his master's debtors one by one he said to the first how much do you owe my master okay i might need a little help back there trevor Go back. No, back. (laughs) Oh, wait, I probably went really forward, didn't I? (laughs) Okay, that's where we were. So let me try this again, see what happens. There we go, okay. So, how much, do I owe my, how much do you owe my master? The manager went out to all these people before he lost his job and said, how much do you owe my master? Then it picks up and says, he said, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So now, he basically, this guy has an idea. I'm gonna get myself out of this mess. I'm gonna go to everybody who owes my master and I'm gonna cut them a deal. You owe 80, you owe 100, I'm gonna cut these things in half and in hopes that down the road, when I'm down and out, I don't have to dig, I don't have to beg, these people are all going to take me in and help me out, okay? So now, how do you think this wealthy master is going to respond? I mean, because when I read this, I'm like, man, that guy's going to be mad. Okay, he just like, on the way out, he rips this guy off, right? That's what I'm thinking. Most would say he's going to be mad. The manager basically only collected a percentage that was owed to the wealthy man. But here's where the parable takes this weird and unexpected turn. The wealthy math- master's response is this. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Wait, what? Okay, think about this for a second. The master said, well, that was a good idea, (laughs) okay? Like in all honesty, I have to kudos to you. Um, So this wealthy man is firing this guy for mismanagement. Then on his way out, he makes a decision that ends up with basically ripping his manager off a little bit more and the manager, or the, the wealthy man comes out and says, you know, That was a pretty smart idea, okay? You were watching out for yourself. So now, when we take a closer look, we realize he's not commending him for ripping him off, okay? What he's commending him for is his shrewdness in coming up with this idea. Now, shrewd means the quality of having or showing good powers of judgment. So, obviously, this guy didn't show good powers of judgment when it came to his master, but for himself he basically said how am i going to protect myself how am i going to plan for the future how am i going to survive so the parable ends there and we don't know what happened with the wealthy man if he still fired if the wealthy man still fired the the um the manager or maybe he sat down and said hey you know what you're smarter than most people so if we can figure out how to use your powers for good rather than evil maybe we can continue on but basically the wealthy man was saying, wow, this guy's really smart. This guy's really shrewd. (coughs) Excuse me. He knows no one is going to hire him if he mismanaged funds, right? This guy, he mismanaged the funds, he knows if you get fired from your job for mismanagement, you're never going to another wealthy person and getting a job, okay? He knows he doesn't want to do manual labor. He knows he doesn't want to beg. So he figures this out. He thought outside the box. How can I take care of myself? And he came up with this plan. Now, before we move on, in no way is Jesus condoning dishonest behavior. Let me just tell you this. In no way is Jesus saying hey, guys, this is a good idea. If you're in the predicament, do the same. He's not saying this. But in this parable, Jesus is using this as a hook, as an attention grabber. Obviously, your attention's grabbed, right? Because you're figuring out, okay, how's Pastor Mike going to dig his way out of this one? How's he going to make this work? Okay? So here's the thing. Thankfully, I don't really have to make it work because Jesus made it work because it was his story. So, uh, Because, you know, this isn't necessarily a real-life account. It was a story. So it's an attention grabber, and what it does is it teaches believers lessons about money. So Jesus goes on in the next verse, and it says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So now... Jesus is making a comparison between unbelievers and believers. He's saying that in many cases, unbelievers plan and prepare with worldly riches better than believers plan and prepare with their worldly riches, which will eventually lead to heavenly riches. So basically what Jesus is saying is, Planning and preparing is something that sons of light believers should be doing with their money, okay? He's looking and saying, okay, we have believers and unbelievers. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes unbelievers are more shrewd with the way that they use their finances. And now when we say shrewd, we don't mean dishonest. We mean shrewd, okay? Wise in judgment. So Jesus is going to teach us three lessons. <clears throat> I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this little, like, allergy thing. I went to the doctor this week. Don't have COVID. I'm good. Okay. So um, <laughs> I just started taking allergy medicine. And um, so anyway, <laughs> that's why I'm, like, laboring like this a little bit. So the first lesson, lesson that Jesus is going to teach us about money, it's money can be used to bless others, which results in personal Blessing. Now, in verse 9, he says it this way. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Okay? Just when you thought things were getting easier in this parable and in this passage, Jesus throws this one in for us. It's a weird statement, right? Let's break it down. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Well, what is unrighteous wealth? Unrighteous wealth is not wealth attained in a sinful way, but it's a description of material and worldly wealth, okay? That's what this is. This is worldly wealth. Unrighteous wealth, everything, in other words, everything that we have, our house, our car, our money, everything in the bank, everything that we earn, it's technically, in God's eyes, unrighteous wealth, okay? It's worldly wealth. It's things not attained in sinful ways, but it's things that are just not righteous necessarily, okay? It's just worldly possessions. So all those things are considered unrighteous wealth because they're possessions of this world. So then Jesus says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, which means use your money and possessions on this earth to bless others. So make friends by unrighteous wealth. Use your wealth, the things that you have, to actually bless others. Use your money for other people. Now, that's not a popular message, right, in this culture. People are like, okay, I make money. I work hard for my money. I use my money for myself. So Jesus is saying, no, actually, you're supposed to use your money to bless other people, okay? So then the money and possessions that we have are not just for our own benefit and comfort. What we have can bless the people around us. Now, some people think that you can only bless others with what you have if you have a lot, okay? Some people think like, I would do that if I had a lot. And some may even say, if I had more, I would be generous with others. But the truth is, you probably wouldn't, okay? Dave Ramsey, the Christian finance author and speaker and teacher, he just says this, and I think I've quoted this before, He says, more money just makes you more of what you are, okay? More money just makes you more of what you are. If you're a generous person, more money makes you more generous. If you're a greedy person, more money just makes you what? More greedy, okay? Now, I don't want to make a commentary on what's going on in this world, but when you really think about it, when we have billionaires saying, hey, let's use our money so we can fly into space, okay? Think about this for a second. I mean, really, I mean, I was listening to a news report and people were like, well, you know, when, when people did air travel at first, only the very wealthy can travel by air, but now the common people can travel by air. I'm like, yeah, it's because we're going somewhere, okay? Space, <laughs> what's the point, okay? <laughs> think about it, okay? We won't launch all the billionaires out to space, we'll so leave them there, fine, okay? <laughs> so here's the thing, I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, really? This is what we're doing with money? And you know, some people think it's cool, and you know, they saw one of the guys, I won't name his name, there's only two, right? Um, but one of the guys, oh, he was awesome. <laughs> Great, okay? I'm glad you spent all that money on an awesome experience. I mean, think about this for a second. Now, it makes me think of my dad. My dad never really had that much. He always was so generous. Actually, many times he was so generous what he didn't have, it actually put him into more debt okay, because he wanted to be generous, but he would always say this, always say this, if I ever win the lottery, we'll all be set, that's what he would say, well, and he never won the lottery, and I have a lot of (laughs) losing tickets to prove it, trust me, I had to go through his house after he passed away, so here's the thing, here's the thing, judging by his generosity with what he didn't have, if he won the lottery, we would have all been set, like as far as worldly riches are concerned. So Jesus goes on, he says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now this is when unrighteous wealth fails. The when it fails, unrighteous wealth. Meaning money will fail because it's of this world and everything in this world will pass away, according to Jesus. Everything, all these material possessions, everything we have will pass away. But when that money is used to bless others, but now, catch us, bless others in the name of Jesus, it's pointing them to a relationship with the Lord, basically, what's going to happen? It's going to enrich our eternity, okay? See, when money is used to promote the gospel message, the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God, the fact that Jesus said, all who believe will have eternal life, when money is used for that, it enriches eternity. Okay, It enriches eternity because guess what? There's going to be people in eternity because of the way that you used your money to promote the gospel. Next Sunday, perfect example. We have missionaries. Ethan Wynn's coming. Ethan and his wife and their kids are coming. And um, his family, they've been doing ministry. They've been gospel center ministry. And actually, what is it, over 10% of what we take in here at the church goes to gospel center ministries all around the world. We support missionaries. So, basically, what's going to happen is this. Our, our money, or what we think is our money, the worldly possessions that we have, when we give that, and bless people, gospel-centered ministry, basically what's happening, you never know who is going to hear the gospel because of the resources that you allowed God to use, okay? So, here's the truth. We, as Christians, should always be thinking about how we can use our resources to help the gospel go forth. Blessing others, with this unrighteous wealth. Because guess what? We can use this money. I mean, we can use it, right? We can fly to space if we want. We could do stuff like that. But that all fails, okay? If we're going to invest, I mean, many of you do invest, right? You invest in your retirement. You invest in things and you're like, I hope it's there. I hope it's there. I hope it's there. I hope it's there. I can tell you one thing that's going to be there, okay? And that is eternity with Jesus. And when you use your money to bless others, guess what?
1: That's a sound investment.
0: You know, that is a sound investment. So the first lesson is money can be used to bless others, which results in personal blessings. The next is a little longer. It says this, we are to be good stewards of what belongs to God, and that will result in him trusting us with more in this life and the next. So everything we have is a gift of God and is technically on loan from God. Because when we look at our stuff, our per- it's ours, right? We look at it, it's, it's ours. But really, it's on loan from God. He allowed us to use these resources, and we have to listen to what Jesus says about the use of those resources. Now, he goes on in verse 10, it says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So what you do with a little dictates how much you're going to be trusted with. Okay? What you do with a little bit will dictate how much you're going to be trusted with. Most of you parents here or grandparents here, you know, if you see your kid or grandkid make good decisions with a little bit, you're more likely to give them more they go waste their money, He give them 10 bucks and they go waste it all on candy, you're like, eh, I don't give the kid any more money, okay, they waste some money on candy, and you know, you say things like, we don't have that kind of money, okay, right, we, we don't have candy money, okay, we have money to use for good things, so when they use it for good things, you're more likely to say, here, I'll bless you with a little more, well, God is our heavenly father, do you think you're smarter than he is, okay, he obviously owns everything, so, when he sees faithful people, he's willing to bless them a little bit more. Then he goes on. <coughs> if then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the tr- w- to you the true riches? So, now what you do with money on this earth will dictate your heavenly wards that you will receive and the responsibilities you will have in the thousand-year reign of Jesus. Now, those are the true riches. Now, I don't want to get too much into end times, but there's after the rapture and then the tribulation, Christ will reign for a thousand years. In that a thousand years, we reign with him. There's responsibilities given. It's like you know, a political system run by Christ, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's money, there's things used and stuff. This is where the faithful believers of our time will actually be blessed with responsibilities in that time. So, basically, God is looking and saying, okay, you were a good steward when you spent your time on the earth with unrighteous wealth or with money. I can trust you. I know that you're going to do the right thing with the money and the responsibilities that I have for you during this time. So, an aspect of our Christian life is being faithful with what God has blessed us with. We should not waste it his, his blessing, We should not waste His blessings, but we should use those blessings wisely, and the more wisely we use these blessings, the more He'll bless us with. You get that? So And that's, that's in this life and in the next. So it's a stewardship issue. So then Jesus goes on and he says this. And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now, this is kind of a weird statement as well, because most would say, if it's your own, you'd be more faithful with it. Would you agree with that? If it's your own, you'll be more faithful with it. But the concept here is accountability, okay? When you're managing something for someone else, you know you have to answer to them, right? Okay, if you're managing somebody else's, and and then you mess up, Say you're maybe like managing somebody's stock portfolio, and then you mess up. You're like, oh, dude, I got to tell this guy. But when it's your own, you're kind of like, ah, you know, that stinks. But I, you know, I only have myself to answer to. So the idea here is this when you're managing something for someone else, you know you have to answer them. But when something is yours, you don't have that accountability. But the truth is, you're always accountable that's the rub here. The truth is you're always accountable to God. We are stewards of what he has given to us. So you make a bad money decision right now. And, you know, maybe it only affects you. And you're like, oh, well, well, it just affects me. Well, God's like, "Mm, no, it affects what I've blessed you with. You're accountable to me. And people don't look at money like that. People don't look and say, well, you know, will God be pleased with this decision or will, will he not be pleased with it? You know, we don't necessarily always look at it like that. But you're accountable with each penny to what you do to God. with God. You're accountable to him. So how we handle money in this life will dictate how much we're trusted with in this life and will dictate how much we're trusted with in the next, namely the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Now, the third lesson is this. Don't let money take the place of God. Now, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we've heard that verse hundreds of times in our lives, right? But the truth is, Things can get in our way of our commitment to Jesus. And money is one of the biggest things that can distract us from serving Jesus. Money is one of the biggest things that can distract us from serving Jesus. Now, and, and when I say this, I want you to realize this. Some people always go to this like extreme. That's rich people. Those are the people flying to space. Those are the people that money is a distraction. But guess what? Money is a huge distraction for people that don't have money either, Okay, Money is a huge distraction for people that don't have money because a lot of times, people that don't have money, all they think about is, if I had money. You know, when I go back to my dad like that, I mean, literally, when I tell you, when I tell you he said that, like, about the when we, like, if I win the lottery, we're all set. He had an igloo cooler of canceled out lottery tickets, stacks like this. We were going through, and I was wondering where all his money went all his life. Okay, no, seriously, he was so focused. I think I could win. I think I could win. It distracted him from every other thing, and it messed up so many areas of his life because he thought I could win. I think I could win. I think so. It's here's a person who had no money, really. But money was a huge distraction. The Apostle Paul tells young Timothy this. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Think about this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that people wander. It's through this craving that people wander. Here's Here's the truth about money. We need money to provide, but we can fall into the trap of serving money rather than using money to serve God. I mean, think about the way our culture is even set up. I mean, we kind of like serve money, right? What are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to get up and you're going to go to work. Why? Because you need money, okay? Because bill collectors are there. Because you got a bunch of stuff. And I'm not saying this is wrong, but this is the way our culture is set up, right? You get up every day. So it's very easy to serve money. Nobody's bowing down at the author of money. Oh, I love money. But the thing is, the way that we live, it almost forces us to serve money. See, when that happens, money starts to take the place of God in our lives. And as Jesus says, we can't serve both. So if money is too primary what happens is it starts to become the ultimate in our life. It starts to become the God. So when money is used properly, like we learn, it becomes a tool to bring glory to God. And when it takes over and it's not used properly, it can become a God in our lives. Now, some would look at these three lessons, hear the teachings, and not agree. I'm full well aware of that. But guess what? Jesus was as well. Some are going to hear this type of teaching and say, mm, now, life's all about money. I'm going to try to get as much as I can. Okay, you don't know because you don't have a lot, so that's what like, poor people say, okay? That's what people think. Like They think these things. They say, okay, you don't really get it. And guess what? If you have that mindset, that's the mindset the Pharisees had. Listen to how this closes. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, okay? They made fun of Jesus' teaching, okay? So here's what I want to leave you with. Don't mock the teaching of the Lord. Take heed to what he teaches.